listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm, I'm dealing with this today. I was studying uh, Jesus' life, and I put something together that I'd not heard anybody teach before. And um, I was actually doing some writing. I'm doing some more writing now. I'm getting ready to put another book out soon. But as I was doing some writing, I saw something uh, that I had not seen before. And if you have your Bible, I'll read it to you. If you don't have it, you can just listen to it. Um, 1 John chapter 2. And I was like, how have I never seen this before? I mean, just looking at the passage and putting two and two together, I was like, how in the world have I never seen this before? But um, in 1 John chapter 2, there's a verse, very popular verse, good morning, Jess Burton, that I know you've heard before. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to show you this today, three tests that every single believer must pass in order to avoid destruction. Now, we know that the devil is constantly working to try to destroy uh, the lives of men and women. The difference with a Christian is that he doesn't have authority over any believer. In fact, we have authority over the devil. And so it's not the same as it is for an unbeliever where he can just pretty much do whatever he wants in the life of an unbeliever because they have no authority over the devil. You have authority over the devil. Christ gave it to you. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And because we are, all things are under our feet. Rulers, dominions, uh, every name that is named, not only in this world, that which is to come, that's in Ephesians chapter one and chapter two. So we don't have to interact with the devil and demons like an unbeliever would. However, if people don't know who they are in Christ and they don't understand their authority in Christ, then sadly, they can have the same results in their life that an unbeliever would have. That's actually a, um, a principle that I wish more people would understand because people think, well, I'm a Christian now, so everything's just going to be, you know, I'm going to put life on cruise control, you know, and nothing, no, no problems now. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to have an understanding of your authority in Christ if you're going to walk in that kind of uh, total victory. You say, well, what do you mean by that? The book of Proverbs says this. I believe it's Proverbs 21, 16. And in fact, I'll, I'll take you there first and read it to you. Proverbs 21, 16. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. One who wanders from the way of good sense, one translation said from the way of understanding, will rest in the assembly of the dead. So you can leave the way of understanding. And as a result, You can live, if you want to, in the assembly of the dead, meaning I could be a follower of God, but still have the same results in my life as somebody who's not a follower of God. So did God create me to live with constant depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and sickness in my body and poverty in my finance? No, he didn't create me for those things. However, if I don't understand what is mine and the authority I have to take the blessings of God. I'll just take anything that comes in my life thinking that's what I have to have. But see, that's the difference between understanding who you are in Christ and understanding your authority in Christ is that you don't have to just take whatever comes. No, by faith, you change the future. 
In fact, I want you to put that in the comments today. My faith is changing my future. My faith is changing my future. Put it in the comments. So I refuse to remain in the assembly of the dead. I'm not going to be a Christian that has a redeemer and have all these benefits and then and then not take advantage of the benefits. No, my faith is changing my future. My faith is changing my future. And um, so the reason I bring that up is because the devil wants to destroy your life, my life, destroy our families, but he doesn't just have the authority to come in and destroy Christian families. We have to open the door and allow the devil to come in. That's why if you've ever heard me uh, teach on this, I don't believe there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches or hints at the fact that Christians can be demon possessed. You can't be demon possessed as a Christian because you're already possessed by the Holy Spirit. He possesses you. And so um, the devil can't just do whatever he wants. However, we've got to take authority and do what we're asked to do by the scripture and activate the covenant and watch God bless us because of our faith and faithfulness. So though the devil's trying to destroy and take people out, we have authority over it. But there are three tests that every believer has to pass to avoid destruction. And whether you want to take the tests or not, it doesn't matter. You will take them in your life. In fact, most people are passing these tests on a daily basis, on a daily basis. And here's the thing. Jesus had to pass the tests. Jesus had to pass these tests. And so I'm going to show that to you here. First John um, chapter two. And by the way, uh, take a minute to share this today because people need to hear this. People need to hear this. First uh, John chapter two, I'll read verse 16 and then I'm going to take you to what I saw that this tied together with. Let me read what John wrote. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let's read verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see that? The King James would say it this way, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Here in the ESV, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So here are three tests that everybody is passing on a daily basis. It's not like, it's not like you just pass them one time in your life, and then you never have to pass them again. These tests, if you'll pass them, will keep you from destruction. They will keep the devil from having access, gaining access to your life. And so uh, now that we've seen this, okay, put that in your notes, those three areas, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now go with me to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. And uh, I was studying to do some writing and put these together and it made total sense that right at the beginning of Christ's ministry, at the very beginning, not the end, right when he was getting started, the enemy immediately came to test him in all three of these areas and see how he would respond. Now, the nice thing is Jesus had just been through 40 days of fasting. He had just been filled with the Holy Ghost. He's in perfect position to win every battle, win every test that the enemy sent. And do like Scott did, put that in the comments, desires of the eyes, desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three tests that we're dealing with today. And I want to show you how Jesus not only had to deal with them, but how he dealt with them. How he dealt with them. The desires of the eyes, 
the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. All right, so we get to Matthew chapter 4. And we see that, uh, you know, Jesus is going up. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Uh, After, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. Watch this. The tempter came to Jesus and said, and said, if you're truly the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, let me stop there and say, the enemy will always make try to make you question your position. Well, if you truly are the son of God, right? And then you'll get this kind of stuff. Well, if you are really a Christian, if you are really a new creation, a new person, if you are really, oh, you think you're anointed to do this or that you think you really have that calling? Well, if you really did, enemy loves that, to make you doubt your identity, to make you doubt your purpose. Do you know when my daughter was in the hospital and she was attacked in her physical body, it, you know, it wasn't enough that the enemy just attacked her body. He started to attack me. And so here I am in the hospital room with my daughter and she's being attacked physically, but the enemy is attacking me mentally. And you know, the the type of things that he says to you, well, if you really were a Holy ghost preacher, if you really were, you know, if this signs and wonders and miracle stuff really did work, you know, if, if this was really for everybody, then how come your daughter's going through this? If you really were a faith man, a Holy ghost man, if you really were, then how come she's dealing with this? Why are you in the hospital? Why is she, ha- why is she laying on that hospital bed? And so the same thing that he always does, he was trying to do to me to try to make you doubt who God made you to be. And you need to make this up in your mind. Just set it like a creed that you're going to live by for the rest of eternity. I refuse to doubt who God called me to be. I refuse. I don't care what comes. I refuse to doubt what God called me to be. I'll not do it. I will not for one moment, try to contradict what God already said about me, about my family. And the enemy will do his best to make you doubt it, do his best to try to make you to uh, wonder if it's true. If you're just coming on, you need to hit share on this. Hit share on this. I will not doubt what God's called me to be. And here, these questions, you know, because remember something, Jesus had to know who he was. Jesus had to know who he was. You know, he came, though he shed certain parts of his divinity to come to earth. You know, when, uh, and Barbara, a lot of people do. A lot of people struggle with who they are in Christ because the devil's working on everybody in that area. Try to make you feel like you're not worthy or you're not righteous, or you're not anointed, or you don't have what it takes. or all, It's all a lie. You are righteous. You are anointed. You are worthy. You do have more than it takes to accomplish your purpose. Don't listen to the lies. Lisa, Lucy said, I also struggle with that thought. Let me tell you something. One of the best things you can do is to daily begin to speak out of your mouth who God made you to be. I don't care. Write a list. And maybe we'll do that and provide it to people so they can actually uh, just take it and, uh, and, and just begin to say it. But every morning you ought to get up and you ought to say, I thank you, Lord, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that I am a holy person. I am set apart. I am a peculiar person people. I thank you, Lord, that I am a new person. I'm a new creation. I thank you, Lord, 
that I have the victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I thank you that I'm more than a conqueror. I thank you, Lord, that I'm an overcomer. I thank you, Lord, and you just go through every, every confession of who God's made you to be. Lord, I thank you that I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that is dwelling in me, that is quickening my physical body. I thank you, Lord, that your word says none of these diseases will come upon me. I thank you that I'm a part of the family of God. I'm thank you, I thank you, Lord, that the same spirit that raised Christ up is now also renewing my mind, and I have access to the mind of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that I have access to the ways and the thoughts of God, which are higher than my ways and my thoughts. And then you just keep on every day saying those things and confessing what the Bible already says about you. And you keep it in front of your face. I think it may be good for us to do it and provide it because people may not know all of those things in the word that, yeah, I'm blessed and not cursed. That's right. I'm the head and not the tail. Uh, we did it for the children, but I think we need to do it also for the adults to have something that on a daily basis, you have the confession with the scripture verse right next to it. And every day when you get up, yeah, I thank you, Lord, that I don't have a spirit of fear. I've got a spirit of faith. I've got a spirit of peace. I got a spirit of joy. Hallelujah. And you just begin to declare it. See, because when Joshua took over from Moses, the Lord told him very clearly, take this book of the law and don't let it depart from your mouth. You see that? Not from your heart, not from your ears, not from your mind, from your mouth. That means that Joshua was to be speaking God's law every day. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Take this book of the law and don't let it depart from your mouth. From your mouth. And that's our goal too. I refuse to let something that is not from God about me proceed from my mouth. So that means I'm not going to just say what I've heard others say. I'm not going to say what people said about me. I'm a screw up. I'm a failure. No, I never do anything right. I don't know. I feel like I'm coming down with something. I'm always sick. I don't know. I just feel like I'm always, I'm not saying that nonsense. Not saying that nonsense. No, I'm not always sick. Healing runs in my family. The power of the Holy Ghost runs in my family. My, I am connected to the healer. I'm connected to the greater one. He's in me. Greater than the spirit that's in this world. That's the Antichrist spirit. And so we're just going to say it and say it and say it and say it. So these three, these three areas that Jesus had to deal with, notice the first thing. The devil tried to make him wonder, am I truly? Am I truly? That's a temptation. Am I truly the son of God? Am I truly the anointed one? Am I truly the Messiah? And um, does the same with us. Remember, Jesus would have had to acknowledge and, and see in the scripture that he was who God made him to be. There are certain aspects of, of his divinity Jesus did not have when he was on the earth. He, he was not omnipresent when he was on the earth. And... He was not omniscient when he was on the earth. He didn't know all things. He didn't know all things. And there was a certain level of his power where uh, he was doing it as a man, the things he did by supernatural power, as a role model for us that it can be done, right? So uh, he had to... Of course, he had the Holy Spirit living in him. The Bible says he did. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. So he was operating in power the same way that we would operate in supernatural power, by faith, by faith. You know, if, if he was truly like the Father in that moment, omni, or, or omnipotent, then he would have never had to pray for somebody twice, would he? Everything, it would have been immediate. But there was a man that he prayed for. The Bible said he was blind and Jesus prayed for that man. And what happened? He said, how is it now? He said, well, I can see, but not clearly. It's like I see men that like trees walking around, didn't have clarity of sight. So what did Jesus do? 
he prayed again. He prayed again. So it shows you there is a, a, a melding of his humanity and his divinity in one into one being. But I, I can guarantee you that God the Father, uh, who sits on the throne, never has to say anything twice for it to come to pass. But see, Jesus had given up portions of his divinity in order or aspects of his divinity. He was fully divine, but the, the aspects of his divinity in order to come down to the earth, take on a flesh nature and flesh form so that he could redeem man. He was not omnipresent. He was not omniscient. And we can see in this area, he was not omnipotent in the way that God the Father is, although he was filled with the Holy Ghost and operated by faith, same way that we can, same way that we can. So the devil, hey, Pastor Sam, the devil tried to make uh, Jesus doubt who he was. And so here in the temptation, Matthew 4, uh, the Bible says that the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. All right, so there's the first test Jesus had to pass. Okay, what? which, was, which test was that? That is the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. Remember, we're dealing with these three tests, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, 1 John 2, 16. So here in Matthew chapter four and verse three, if you're truly the son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Well, let me tell you, that was a true temptation because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. He was hungry. But he answered, notice what he said. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there it is. Jesus answered him again with the word of God. The word of God. You know, if you've ever read the book of James chapter 4, the Bible says something that we quote a lot, but I think some people only quote a portion of it, where the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Everybody's read that. A lot of people quote that. But the Bible says more than just resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's not the full requirement for the believer. What does it actually say? There's a part that goes before resist the devil. You know what it is? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how can you fully resist the devil or resist him at all if you're not submitted to God? The first prerequisite to having the devil flee from you is submit yourself to God. I'm going to tell you a tip that makes this very simple. There's actually only one way. People come up with all these different ideas. Well, what, what is it? What's necessary when you submit yourself to God? And I'm sure people could come up with 21 things, 21 ways to submit yourself to God. There's only one way. There's actually only one way to submit yourself to God. You want to know what it is? to obey his written word. That's it. That is it. That's the only way to submit yourself to God. All that we'd ever know about God is found in his word. There's nothing outside of his word that can tell us more about him than what's in his written word. Nothing. That's what he's given us, the written word. The only way, I'd put it in the comments, I'd put it in your notes, the only way to submit yourself to God is to obey his written word. That's the only way. Somebody always will say, well, what about being led by the spirit, brother? What about being led by the spirit? Yes, but understand the written word of God commands us to be led by the spirit of God. So even by obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're still obeying the written word of God. 
There's only one way to submit yourself to God. That's obeying his written word. That's it. That's it. So notice, it's not just resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Okay, now that I'm submitted, now we know Jesus was fully submitted. You say, how do you know Jesus was fully submitted? He never sinned a day in his life. Not one sin. That's how you know he was fully submitted to God. And the Bible says, even Jesus would say, I can say nothing unless I hear the Father say it. I only do what I see my Father do. Jesus was not a rogue. He didn't just go out and do whatever he wanted to do. He did what he saw his Father doing. He could only say what he heard the Father say. So he was connected and submitted fully. And then, next step, resist the devil. And people have done a lot of different uh you know, studies on how, how this is the best way to resist the devil. Resist the devil the way Jesus did it. Resist the devil the way Jesus did it. How did he do it? Mark, Matthew chapter four shows us. Here comes that uh, temptation, that attack from the devil, that test that Jesus has to pass. What? How did Jesus respond every time the devil came at him with another temptation, another attack? You know how he did it? It is written. There you go. There you go. Notice this. Ephesians chapter 6 lists for us the full armor of God. Full armor of God. You know what's wild? The thing to me that's wild is if you break down all of the pieces of the armor of God, all of them show your submission to God and his word. Every single piece, every single piece. Can we break it down for you? What? The helmet of salvation. What is that? That's your submission to God. You can't have salvation without your submission to God and his word. So there's your submission to God. What else? The breastplate of righteousness. You're righteous. The only way you can be righteous is if you're submitted to God in covenant. Again, that's your submission to God. What else is on top of the breastplate of righteousness? The belt of truth. What is truth? It's the word of God. That's it. The only truth there is, is God's word. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so the belt of truth, that is your ability to have the word of God in your life. Look, notice what we're dealing with, submission to God and resisting the devil through what? The way Jesus did it, through the word. Submission to God, the word of God. What else do we have? The shoes put on by the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? The word of God being preached. Amen. What else do we have? The shield of faith. How does the shield of faith come? How does faith come? By hearing what? The word of God. Here we are again, back to the word of God. But not only that, not only that, there's another piece that many people don't think about this in the right context. If all God wanted us to do was protect ourselves, he would have only given us armor and a shield. But more than that, he wants us to attack. So what does he give us? The sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The word of God. We're back again to the word of God. So there it is. Submission to God and the word of God. And so here, Jesus, how does he resist the devil? By pulling his sword, the word of God. He fights back by pulling the word of God from its sheath and launching it back at Satan's face. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There it is. There it is. So notice what happens after he does that. The devil has to change subjects. <laughs> it's too much. So now the devil's got to change subjects. Okay. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you truly are the son of God, there he goes again, right back to trying to make 
Jesus doubt who he is. If you well, if you truly are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. <clears throat> For it's written. The devil's like, oh, if you want to play that game, I'll play that game too. I can quote scripture. But notice Satan quotes scripture out of context. Oh, it's written. <clears throat> he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Oh, really? Quoting Psalm 91. Oh, really? So because we have Psalm 91, should we just go put ourselves in danger? See, this is the foolishness that, um, you know, it's one thing to try to commit an act of suicide and then and quote scripture. But, but Psalm 91 says, he'll protect me. Just, just foolishness. You know, just because I have Psalm 91 at my disposal, I don't jump off the Empire State Building. But I'll tell you what irritated me. We were in the midst of 2020, and um, some Christian wrote a blog post, which I thought was so stupid. And they said, let me write a blog post as to why Christians cannot use Psalm 91 for their protection. And the whole point of his blog post was, well, Jesus didn't use it for his protection, and Satan tried to use Psalm 91 to get Jesus to do something dangerous, and Jesus would not do it. Jesus didn't take advantage of Psalm 91. And I thought, what a stupid, stupid thought that you're going to use this passage here in Matthew chapter 4 to say that Jesus refused to take advantage of Psalm 91 and God's protection. No, notice how he answered. He said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So you're not supposed to just do stupid things that have um, definite outcomes, right? I'm not casting myself off of buildings. I'm not Spider-Man. I'm not casting myself off buildings and I got Psalm 91 and as I fall to the ground. No, don't test the Lord your God. And so he said, the guy that wrote the blog, he goes, this is why Christians shouldn't go out uh, of their house and out, out into in public and in crowds during this time when the virus is, is all over the place. We should stay indoors. I said, hang on a second. There's a big difference. See, because here's the way the, this is how the enemy tries to get to make you think. So now you're doubting God's word. You read that blog post trying to get people to doubt the power of God's protection through Psalm 91. But one thing this guy didn't understand apparently was that I'm not doing something foolish by trusting in God's healing and protection power. I actually have a covenant of healing and protection with God. There's a whole, that's a whole different thing than to say, I'm going to go do something stupid and put my, put the Lord, my God to the test and jump off of a skyscraper. It's one thing to be an idiot and jump off of a skyscraper while quoting Psalm 91. It's another thing to go about your business as normal, knowing and believing I've got a healer that I'm connected to. I've got a, 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 a protector, somebody that is watching over me that uh, promised me, even though in the Old Testament, the same blessings are available in the New Testament, I'll, none of these diseases will come upon you, right? I'll put none of these diseases upon you that come upon the Egyptians. I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm the Lord that heals you, right? By his stripes, you were healed. I've got a covenant with the healer. And so it's one thing to stand on the covenant God created for you through Christ's blood, it's another thing to be an idiot and put the Lord your God to the test and do something that has a, an end that's definite destruction. Not doing that. And so that guy's blog post was utter nonsense written by an utter fool that doesn't understand the difference between doing a stupid thing 
and doing something by faith because you have a covenant with the healer. Amen. There's nowhere in the Bible that we're supposed to um, do stupid things like that. Because look, even if you're in a dangerous situation, one of the things uh, that was prophesied by Christ is that even if you're preaching the gospel in dangerous situations, there are times of protection, but there was prophecy, <laughs> there was prophecy that would come to pass that there were people that would be killed for the name of Christ, martyrs, killed for the name of Jesus, slaughtered for preaching the gospel. We've had those people all over the world for centuries that have stood for the cause of Christ, that have preached the gospel of Christ, that have been killed for it. Well, that's just to fulfill Bible prophecy. Jesus said, you'd be hated all over the world for my name's sake. And actually, there's a supernatural blessing, the Bible says, for people that are willing to give their life for the cause of Christ. So that's a whole different thing. That's persecution. That's something Jesus did prophesy. It's not talking about jumping off the Empire State Building, quoting Psalm 91 the whole way down to the ground. And I've got a covenant with the healer, which means I can walk in healing and not have to go. I didn't stop traveling. I didn't stop preaching. I didn't stop going into crowds. I didn't stop laying my hands on people. I didn't wear gloves and lay hands on people. I didn't wear a mask and lay hands on people. No, I just did what the Bible says, believing that the, I mean, how foolish. I had a precious lady come down, but uh, even in our church, wanted prayer on a Sunday. If you're going to come to the altar with a mask on your face and ask me to pray that God will do a supernatural healing, doesn't that strike you? Doesn't that strike you uh, as a bit of a, a contradiction? You're coming forward saying, I believe Christ is going to do a supernatural thing for me, but wearing a mask, not believing that he can supernaturally keep you from whatever might be in the air. It's like, I'm not praying for you with a mask on. And so I just politely asked her, you know, if you want me to pray for you, uh, you're going to have to take the mask off. Don't you see the discrepancy here? Don't you see the discrepancy? And so uh, it's not foolish to believe that He'll keep you from the wicked things of this world. Not foolish to believe that. And so that's what the devil's trying to make him do. Using the word of God out of context to make Jesus face a test that he shouldn't have to face. No, I'm not coming and throwing myself off this high place just to please you. What was that temptation? He said, look, look at all this. He said, you can obviously... You can obviously jump off. What is this now? This is the total pride of life. Oh, I'm the I'm the son of God. I can't be destroyed in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to cast myself off this island. Pride of life. The pride of life. Notice, he said, oh, you're so powerful. You're the son of God. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can hinder you. Nothing can kill you. Throw yourself down off this high place. Try to puff Christ up in pride. Oh, yeah, I'm the son of God. I can just cast myself. I can do whatever. He'll not allow my me to dash my foot up against a stone. He'll have his angels protecting me, trying to puff him up. No. Jesus said, I'm not going to submit to this pride, this prideful arrogance. No. It's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus had passed the test of the lust of the flesh, and now he's passed the test of the pride of life. One more to go. Still one more to go. And so the devil, notice, are you noticing a pattern here? Every time that Jesus answers Satan with the word of God in authority, did you ever notice that Satan had to end that temptation? What a powerful revelation for somebody to get. When you answer the attack of the devil the right way, the devil has to end that temptation. Whew, glory to God, that may, that make you shout. Whenever you answer the attack of the devil the proper way, then the devil has to end that temptation. I mean, I'd write that down if I were you. Because look, we've only been through two, we got one more to go, but both times, Jesus responded properly with the word of God. 
and the devil had to end that temptation. Did you notice that after Jesus passed the temptation of the uh, desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the, the bread, you know, that the devil didn't come at him with another temptation for his flesh. Well, how about if you don't like that, then turn turn these snakes into fish. No, he passed the test of the lust of the flesh. And you know what happened? The devil had to end that temptation and move on to something else. He had to end that temptation and move on to something else. What did he move on to? Moved on to the pride of life. But when Jesus overcame that temptation, that temptation had to come to an end and the devil had to change subjects and move on to another temptation. When you respond properly to the temptation of the enemy, it ends that temptation. Hallelujah. Amen. We resist him with the spoken word of God. I want, I want to say that once more before we get to this final thing. It's not enough to think the word of God. So well, I'm being attacked right now, so I'm just meditating on the word. No. Yes, you should meditate on the word, but that's not how you resist the devil. You don't resist him just by meditating on the word. Notice, Jesus spoke the word, spoke the word right back at the devil. Here comes the temptation. Here comes my mouth opening up and the word of God's coming out. That's how you release the spirit of faith. That's how you resist the devil, by you speaking the word of God. I speak the word, glory to God. I speak the word only. See, now the devil had to change subjects again. Final test. And again, verse eight, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, here it comes again, here it comes again, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What was the devil doing in this instance? The desires of the eyes. Look at all of the kingdoms of the world in front of your face. Look at all of the kingdoms. Everything you see, it can all be yours. It can all be yours. It can all be yours. Jesus looks across the kingdoms. You know what's interesting? Is how could that be a temptation if the devil didn't really have authority over the kingdoms? If Jesus already had authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, that's not a temptation because he would just look at Satan and say, those are mine anyway. You can't give me what's already mine. But see, Adam lost his dominion. He lost his dominion and turned it over to Satan, which is why the Bible says, and Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, that Satan is the God of this world. Jesus, through redemption, took back authority, took back power, took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave and transferred that authority and power back to the child of God, to the body of Christ. Now you have authority over the devil. Now you've got power over every wicked thing. He said, look, you'll worship the Lord your God only and him shall only shall you serve. Now verse 11 is very powerful. It says, and then the devil left him, hallelujah. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the um, thing that will make you really get excited. The Bible says, um, after these three things were done, the devil left him. Left him. If you look at the parallel passage in Luke chapter 4, I love this. Let me read to you what Luke chapter 4 says, telling the same story. Luke's just a little bit more detailed because of his writing style. Luke 4.13, and when the devil had ended every temptation. She's like, hold on a second. And I, I know, I understand the grammar here and the syntax, but notice, ended every temptation. That's not every temptation on the face of the earth. That's not every single temptation on the face, face of the earth. But do you see what it actually is, though? 
it's every temptation in the three categories that we're dealing with that John wrote about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's not every temptation on the earth that could possibly be, you know, brought, but it is every category of temptation, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until what? Until an opportune time. I love that. You know what that means? Is that the people of God who speak God's word, the people of God who respond properly to every attack, to every temptation. Do you know what that means? It makes it a bad time, an inopportune time for the devil to mess with you. When you begin to speak the word out of your mouth at every attack of the devil, when you resist him the way Christ resisted him, it's a bad time for the devil to mess with you when you respond in the way that you're created to respond. And the word of God makes him flee from you. The word flee is, is a very interesting way to put it. He will flee from you. What does that word mean? I want to read you the actual uh, definition. Listen to this. Because it always, it always strikes me when, anytime I see it. The word flee means to run away often from danger, often from danger, and in some cases from evil. But for sure, <laughs> the second definition, to hurry toward a place of security, <laughs> to run from as if in terror, to flee. From what? From danger. Do you know what that means? As Christ spoke the word by faith, as he answered every temptation by speaking the word of God, he was dangerous to the devil. Oh, glory to God. He was dangerous to the devil. That's why the devil had to flee. He fled. He ran away as if in terror, fled from Christ. I want you to put this in the comments as your confession. When I speak the word, I am a danger to the devil. When I speak the word, I am a danger to the devil. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. When I speak the word, I am a danger to the devil. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Put it in the comments section. When I speak the word, I'm a danger to the devil. And you absolutely are. You're dangerous. He has to flee from you. He runs from that danger. When you know who you are in Christ and you know what the word of God says and you speak it at every attack of the enemy. You speak it at every attack of the devil. I'm a danger to the devil. I'm a danger to the devil. I'm a danger to the devil. He's no, he's no danger to me. He's no danger to you. You have authority over him. You're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You're dangerous to the devil. Let me read you this one more passage of scripture before I pray for you. The what, You say, what kind of danger? Let me show you. First John chapter uh, three. This is how dangerous you are to the devil. First John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Now look at this. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So now, because he appeared and then gave us that same authority and power, I give unto you authority, right? To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. Luke 10, 19. I give unto you authority. 
the same. Hey, Sandy, glad to see you. The same authority Jesus had to destroy the works of the devil is the same authority you have to destroy the works of the devil. You are a danger to the kingdom of darkness. You are tearing down principalities and powers and rulers and dominions. You speak the word of God and tear down wickedness. You walk in the power of the Holy Ghost and tear down wickedness. Tear down everything the devil thought he could use to destroy our generation. No, you're a danger to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. You're a danger to the devil. That's what I want you taking out of this today. You don't have to fail. You will pass every test. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the lust or the or the pride of life. <clears throat> and let me tell you, that's why I'm, I'm dealing with this because pride is such a dangerous thing. For the Bible says he resists the proud. God is actively resisting the proud. But what else? He's giving more grace to the humble. Hallelujah. He's giving more grace to the humble. Father, I pray for every person that's watching me, those listening on the podcast, I'm asking you today to strengthen them afresh and anew. They will overcome every temptation of their life. They will overcome the desires of the flesh. They will overcome the desires of the eyes. They will overcome the pride of life and will walk in total victory for we're anointed to tear down strongholds. We're anointed, Lord. We're anointed to, to destroy the works of the devil. I pray for those on today that said, I'm battling this in my mind. I'm battling this thought process. I can't seem to get free from the thought that uh, I'm not, I don't have what it takes, that I'm not anointed, that I wonder about who I am in Christ. Lord, today, give them clarity from your word. Give them clarity from your word. Give them a boldness to understand who they are, who you've made them to be. Straight clarity in the kingdom of God. We will not doubt who you've made us to be. And I thank you for that, Lord. I give you praise that we will not doubt it. We know it, we act in it, we stand in it, and the devil's running from us and our families. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.